Welcome to Talking Pictures Trivia as we venture into our sub-series, Talking TV Trivia. Whenever there's a TV show that catches our attention, this podcast picks a season and explores each episode through trivia. I'm today's host, Nick, and with me is... Tom... KJ. And I'm Chris. Chris somehow made it through the whole season. So uh, thanks again, Chris, for, for joining us. Eight long weeks. <laughs> but it's about Star Wars, you know? You, you I, that's, 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 what's, that's what's getting me to the, the finish line here. Getting stars. <laughs> I'm sure everybody listening is tired of hearing me wax poetically about Star Wars. So it's been, it's been a lot of fun. Well, at least, at least we had a little variety where you lost one episode. It was a close mm-hmm. one, but... Uh... Wombats are not in Star Wars, as K- even though KJ tries to get them in there. They're not there. That's two episodes lost to a wombat. <laughs> I think I think KJ used the force and manipulated me to say the wrong answer so that he could win. This is not the wombat you are looking for. <laughs> for those joining us for the first time, we start each episode with four trivia questions to determine who will earn today's trivia crown. Then we followed up with a theme discussion associated with the TV episode, in this case involving season one of Disney's The Mandalorian. KJ, tell us about today's TV episode. Today we'll be discussing episode 8, also known as chapter 8, Redemption. This episode was directed by Takai Watiti and written by Jon Favreau. There will be spoilers for The Mandalorian up through episode 8. Feel free to press pause until you are caught up. In chapter 8 of The Mandalorian, The Mandalorian finds a Star Wars safe space. They find a sewer grate in a bar. Has anyone ever been to a bar or a restaurant that had an open vent to the sewers? Do we think the sewers on this mud planet are pre-treated and don't smell as you would expect a sewer to smell? Is this bar called the smelly vent and everyone just knows about the vent that leads directly to the sewers? Anyway, through the sewer vent, the Mandalorian is tasked with a quest to save the Holy Grail. The meme must be returned to the Jedi to bring balance to the meme. The badass robot from the first episode has been reprogrammed and is obsessed with keeping the meme alive. This episode ends with the Mandalorian once again with the child going out into space. We then get an epilogue, which is probably really important for people who have consumed an ungodly amount of Star Wars content. The owner of Pollos Hermanos survives the episode and he has a sword that's kind of black, but it glows. Let's jump into the rapid fire questions. Each question will be worth the same amount of points as the number of the question. So we're going one, two, three, four. It's time for question one. How many times does the scout trooper played by Jason Sudeikis punch the sack containing the child? Locked in. Locked in. Locked in. KJ. Two. Tom? I also had two. Chris? I as well had two. The answer is two. He hits it twice, and the other scout trooper, played by Adam Pally, does hit the sack once. There was an interesting reference to this scene. Apparently, John Favreau went up to the two actors after they were beating on the puppet in the sack and said, that's great. You know, we want it to look realistic, but just so you know, that puppet costs $5 million. <laughs> wow. So, yeah, it was, it was just kind of funny to think that they were just smacking this thing worth, you know, $5 million bucks. Wow. Okay. <laughs> $5 million? <laughs> yep. All right. And it was, it, was, it was worth every penny in merchandise. Oh, I'm <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah. 
It's time for question two. What was Moff Gideon's role in the Empire? Locked in. Oh, locked in. Locked in? KJ. To commit war crimes. <laughs> Tom. I had exactly that answer. He was in charge of war crimes. <laughs> Chris. He was an ISB agent. Yes. He was a member of the ISB, the Imperial Security Bureau, which is the law enforcement and security branch of the Empire. You don't want to mess with the ISB. Let's just put it that way. I equate them to kind of like the CIA yes. a little bit. They're intelligence? Yes. That's what they... Yes. They're, yeah, the Imperial Security Bureau, yeah. They basically go around. They're in charge of like finding any traitors. They, they have a lot of sway when it comes to mm-hmm. how the Empire moves. Yes. Huh. Okay. Krennic. They're, they're the deep state of this world. Yeah, Krennic okay. in Rogue One, who built the Death Star, he was ISB, correct? No, he was part of the science team. Oh, I, I okay. forget exactly what he was called. I can't. I can't think of any other char- other than characters and books that have been yeah. known ISBA. It's time for question three. The child will remain the responsibility of Din Jaren until one of two terms are satisfied. What are these terms? Locked in. Locked in. Locked in. KJ. I think it's um either he's returned to the Jedi, right? He's given back to his people, so to say, or he becomes Mandalorian. Those are the two instances that uh, uh, the Mandalorian won't have to keep dragging his uh, Yoda Sita around. Tom? I had um, returned to the Jedi or killed. And Chris? Yeah, I thought it was returned to a Jedi, returned to his kind, which the Jedi, or in death. I don't know where to go with this. The actual answer, I think KJ's the closest. Uh, KJ, can you repeat what you said? I had said either he's returned to the Jedi or he becomes a Mandalorian. He, he right now he's a foundling, and once he you know graduates, gets promoted, it's yeah. a helmet. Yeah, however so, that works. Yeah. So so the actual response from the armorer was until he becomes of age or is reunited with his kind. And I was actually a little yeah. confused on what becomes of age means, but I think KJ's I, interpretation is correct here. Yeah, they do say that. Full Mandalorian. So yeah. I'm going to give KJ the points here. It wasn't death. That's the reason I can't say that. I mean, granted, he can't watch him if he's dead, but that's it's not just a terrible life. Or the why do you have that? Yeah. I just got it. I was charged. I have to bring this corpse <laughs> around with me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but but oh oh, you're saying that the child was dead. I thought they were saying till the Mandalorian was dead. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> It was a $5 well, million not, dollar puppet. Now it's just a paperweight. I was going to say, we, we, we already know there's not a lot of guardrails in Star Wars, so accidents happen. <laughs> it's time for question four. How many stormtroopers does the nurse droid IG-11 take out during his grand sacrifice to save the child? Oh, locked in. Are you counting the scout troopers? How many stormtroopers? <laughs> locked in. I have no idea what a scout trooper. Is. <laughs> I locked something in though, so I'm going with it. 
Did KJ lock in? Oh, uh, yeah, I, I'm locking in after Chris clarified. Oh, after. That's fair. That's fair. Yep. yep. That's fair. So is everyone officially locked in? Yep. KJ. Uh, I'm going to go on based on Chris's question. This is a trick question. There are zero stormtroopers killed. Okay. Tom? I had 12. Chris? I had 14 in my head. Chris gets it right. It's exactly 14. There were two (laughs) scout troopers present. So good on you. I paused that scene. I counted and then I subtracted the scout troopers. Total guess, by the way. (laughs) Oh my gosh. On the money. So Chris is taken down this episode. It wasn't a flawless one, but he did win it fair and square. Seven points. You guys collectively had five points together. But I think, what is that? You missed one episode this season, Chris? Yeah, the one episode where I wombatted. <laughs> oh, yes, which you could have easily said womp rats. Yes, 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 yes. No, I mean, awesome, man. Congratulations. It was a good fight by all. And I, I figured while I'm at it, we won't do it for points, but I had a bonus question, so we might as well throw it out there. What symbol is on the necklace the child is wearing as the ship takes off from Navarro. I would like Tom to answer this. Oh, it's it's the, oh, damn it. It's the thing that the Mandalorians rode. The the <laughs> super dragon, Mandalorian. The, you you got to do it. You got to do it in your best Nick Nolte voice. Your people, your people rode the mythosaur. <laughs> hey, you got it. <laughs> <laughs> I knew you had it in you. I just had to bring that one up because we had so much fun with it in that other episode. You are a Mandalorian. Your people rode the Mythosaur. Oh, that sounds like Gandalf. <laughs> I just say Nick Nolte is one of like the great American actors. He's a very underrated actor. Okay. Well, again, Chris, congratulations for your multiple wins throughout this series as well as today. I will treasure these victories for the next seven or eight minutes. I think that's a a worthy amount. There is no monetary award or compensation, but thank you for playing along. We'll be diving into our topic of the week, which will be aptly titled Redemption for an episode called Redemption to talk about redemption themes in Star Wars and anything else we feel like referencing. Uh, We'll be right back after this brief message from our valued sponsor. We get it. We know kyber knives are the best. You know kyber knives are the best. You just need a little bit more flair to get the deal done. If there was only a way to get all this innovative technology capped off with a decorative and somewhat decadent pommel. Well, now there is. With our Pommel Select series, All your friends will be jealous when seeing the base of your knives made from polished frick. This nearly indestructible metal compound is harvested and directly transferred from the mines of Gromus and the Perkel sector to deliver our customers the best of the best. When it comes to durability, if a case of frick could survive the explosion of Alderaan, it'll surely take whatever you can throw at it in the kitchen. As if you needed more encouragement to purchase Kyber Knives, we're running a buy one, get one free promotion through Life Day. 
So come on down to our showroom in Cloud City above Bespin or any other retailers of fine goods throughout the galaxy before it's too late. Kyber Knives. No need to force it. And we're back. You really can't talk Star Wars without talking about redemption narratives. So I figure we have uh, a ripe opportunity here to go down this rabbit hole within the Star Wars universe and beyond. So who's redeemed? Right? I mean, that's, that is, yeah, because like, I guess I I asked it. Yeah, the Mandalorian, I feel has been redeemed. Right? I mean, he's, he's gone back and saved the kid and has done a lot to save the child. So he's, he seems redeemed or he's not doing anything more. He's not doing anything that he hasn't done before for, for the child. Um, we see like maybe Carl Weathers, character, whose name is what again, Bill, grief, grief, Cargo. grief. okay. Uh, <laughs> he, maybe he's redeemed in the sense that he is, um, he ends up kind of doing the right thing. We see Cara Dune, I guess she, maybe she's redeemed, but what would she be redeemed from? Right. She's doing what she's always done, which is, is battle the bad guys. So, you know, this kind of idea of, of redemption, if anything, it seems to manifest when grief speaks to them at the end that, well, everything is gone. The world is better. Um, you know, I, I, the, the town has been set right because the empire has been thrown off. Um, we could think of possibly the Mandalorian be redeemed to the guild. He can go back into the guild and resume partially his his life, but we as viewers don't really, I mean, I, I don't really care if the guild redeemed him because he was doing, he was doing the ethical thing, which is what got him kicked out of the guild. So the, the guild's redemption as a viewer to me means, means very little. I think all the characters have been redeemed in some way and the ones that you said, as well as IG-11. I think you go from the very first episode, him being just a pure assassin droid, which by the way, I think, I think that character might be my favorite from the whole series, honestly. Great. And then going to the last, going to the last two episodes where you see him, same mannerisms, same tone of voice. It's still Taika Watiti being the voice of it, but just completely changed. Uh, and I also, I, 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 I want to bring this up. I really think that this story was a way of kind of showing uh, the Mandalorian that things can change. Like, we find out in this episode that he's part of Death Watch, uh, which for huge Star Wars lore, Death Watch is kind of a, a cult within the Mandalorian culture. They're very, very uh, fanatical. And he has been in this fanatical organization since he can remember, like, this is the way and all that kind of jargon is very religious or cult-like. And he's always had, a, I hate droids, I hate droids, I hate droids, I hate droids. And then this episode, you see him finally realize that not all droids are bad. Mm-hmm. And, and it's because, and you actually see it on the, on the boat where he actually, you know, the droid actually says, you're, you're getting sad because I'm going to die. You, like, why are you doing that? Like, you see him now start to like a droid because he realizes that droids can, that droids are not all bad. Mm-hmm. And I think it's just another part of character growth, which is why I really like the fact that they changed, not changed, but they did a TV show you get to see so much more kind of build up with the with these characters. So I have a nitpick about IG-11. And actually, I got two nitpicks about this episode, but let's start with IG-11. Okay, so he's got the child. He's got the Razor Crest. And he's been tasked to protect the child. 
and his next move is to bring the child to the middle of a gunfight? Yeah, I was a little confused about that, too. Can he not fly the Razor Crest? He's able to fly a speeder. That's like saying if you can you know, drive a motorcycle, you can fly a plane, but... It worked for Ray. I'm not saying he can't fly because he is an assassin droid and he did get to that planet somehow. I don't think he took a bus, <laughs> but, but um, I think for him, his programming was probably not to leave the child. But why go to the fight? He's got no allegiance because to, to him, anybody in the he fight. He is invincible in a fight. He doesn't think that like the, the odds were that he was going to take out as many people as he could. He did. He did it. But that doesn't that doesn't explain the end when he has to blow himself up. I I, I concede to your point because I think it's a good one. I think it's a little bit of plot. You have to get the baby back into into harm's way, and I think that a little bit like you could explain it away by saying that Quill didn't tell you that it's also about protecting the Mandalorian, and that IG Eleven doesn't necessarily say it, but maybe Quill had that as part of the yeah. the the, yeah. the programming that he kind of underwrote into the into the. They didn't say it. I think you're probably more spot on. I think it's more of just kind of I don't want to call it lazy writing because I think the writing was good, but I think it was more of just like we can't just have the robot run away with the kid. That's not. That's not going to work for us. <laughs> You're right. I'm just trying to find Cue an credits. in-universe way to justify it. Yeah, no, I, I, I had trouble with that too. I didn't get why he flew right into the middle of the town with the, with the thing. I have a feeling, and I did make an assumption, which you can't do, that Quill did task him to protect the group, not just the baby. But that was never, as Chris said, specifically said to us but i did take it that way he I, I mean at one point the robot does say like if you touch the child i will have to kill you he says that to he said, I think cara dune right to, no he, he says he it does. to carl weathers he says it to carl weathers okay he says well that wasn't that. part of his group right because the originally when he was with kuil and they go to get the ugnaught and that's when they're introduced it's only cara dune the mandalorian mm -hmm. and the child but but anyway, regardless of the, the I, I do think the moments between the robot and the Mandalorian are are interesting. Great. It's also interesting too because if we're going to think of like the robot as being redeemed, he's not actually that 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 is a very bold statement because the robot seems to have no real conscious decision right over his he he has the ability to decide the pragmatic path to a goal, but he has no ability to select the goal or what is right, right, as a robot. So if if he's being redeemed, redemption sort of implies a, a, a you know, a categorical imperative, a knowledge of good and, and evil. Um, and so it seems like the Mandalorian, a, a lot of that with the robot, the robot can't be redeemed, I don't think, because the robot doesn't have that that facility he's being kind of prompted by his his programmers um but i think it is interesting to watch the mandalorian become more human with the robot just because he hates the robot so much and also the robot allows him to um, both literally and figuratively drop his armor he's able to take his helmet off could you connect the two the mandalorian as a robot that's been programmed like programmed by the the Death Watch and programmed by the Mandalorian Credo. And yeah. now he's like, as the robot has been redeemed mm -hmm. by being reprogrammed, like maybe the Mandalorian realizes that he can also maybe redeem, because we know he's done bad stuff from a couple mm -hmm. episodes ago. So maybe this is him understanding that, you know, there it's not all 
you can't go back. Maybe there is some sort of redemption story for him too. I see a lot of connection there, just like Chris did. The, the tension with the Mandalorian is creedal. He's, he's living in a creedal world and he's run up against, you, you see him running up against the desire to break the creed, right? Uh, he's tempted to take the helmet off, he doesn't, but I don't think he ever violates the creed, though he violates the, the guild, but the guild is not his kind of fundamental belief. His fundamental belief is the, what do you call them? The death, <laughs> whatever, the, the, the really- death, death, death watch. Death Watch, yeah, the, the the really intense Mandalorian group. He never violates that. Um, what he ends up having to violate are the are, are the tenets of the guild he's in, and I, I think that once he is able to, and he does it pretty quick, pretty pretty early on in the series. Once he's able to do that, then he's able to get beyond that. I think what you're talking about in terms of kind of past trauma that he's able to overcome is the fact that he's able to trust a robot to, to heal him, to take off the helmet, to heal him. You know, he literally lowers his armor. And so what we see is maybe not um, an escape from the programming of the Cradle unit, that is the, the Death Watch people, but what we're seeing is somebody somewhat healing from the trauma of his childhood by being able to kind of trust this robot. And in healing from that trauma, it, it expands his capacity, right? He isn't imprisoned by this trauma, which is kind of how trauma works. It sort of traps you in the past. He's now able to kind of be beyond the past, to, to escape the past and move forward, which may be what redemption is in some way, right? Redemption is freedom from the sins of the past. And in this case, maybe it's not necessarily just the Mandalorian sins. It's the sins of, of context, the sins of the society he's in. But he is, to some extent, maybe if it's only a step forward, a step forward in the right direction, a step forward into freedom. And once he takes that, metaphorically, the town he's, he's now in that Carl Weathers seems to govern in this crazy Hobbesian universe, which I still have all problems with, but I'd love to talk about it too, especially with your guys' knowledge of the, the politics of it. But anyway, that we hear from Carl Weathers is that this town is now better, that, um, that the, the circumstances have improved. Um, and you know, so on and so forth, and yeah, so so maybe, yeah, that that seems reasonable. It's better for Carl Weathers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but yeah, I mean, so why does Carl Weathers elect to take the difficult route for his character? I think it's just like a money-making scheme for him. Like I think he's when he was he was basically the head honcho of the guild in Navarro. No, and what I mean by is in this episode when he kills the two the two bounty hunters and he's like. I was going to kill you, but I'm not going to do that anymore. Oh, I think that I think I think the swerve was when he gets healed by the child and he realizes just yeah. how special the child was and that, yeah. yeah, maybe having this in the hands of the old empire is not worth the cash. Yeah, exactly. So that that seems to be. Yeah, like he he as a center of the town of this kind of Hobbesian civilization is also redeemed. He He's better. Right. Morally better. You know, he's more in line with the things we value. So it seems like as the Mandalorian heals from his trauma and is redeemed from his trauma, we also see in the person of Carl Weathers, this town is possibly reset or, or improved. But that's something we, you know, maybe need to wait for the next episode to say. However, it's still in Reeve Karga's best interest because at the end of the episode, they said that they pretty much ran out all the imps. So the Imperial mm -hmm. presence has been eliminated, which in the end will be good for him too. But you're right. There is a, a change there. And I think they all had some level of 
change throughout this episode. One of the other things going off the part with IG-11 and redemption, he also redeemed in Din Djarin, the Mandalorian, his opinion towards droid kind in general. And I know I'm not going to go into it deep because we already did, but there was a redeeming quality there, even inwardly within the Mandalorian. And it's healing, right? It's redemption as healing. That's, that's, you know, and it's psychological healing. And also actually it's physically, he's physically healed. And so the physical healing, I think is also a metaphor for that kind of uh, healing of past traumatic wounds. So I have one more nitpick and I'm going to need some help with, uh, <laughs> with the Star Wars guys here. So in the epilogue, we see that Moff Gideon has, I think it's called the Dark Saber. Do I have that? Oh, do yes. I have that right? Yes. Dark Saber. So briefly, guys, I, I don't know what it is. What is the Dark Saber? I'm going to turn that one over to Chris. I'm turning it right Real over brief. to what, 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 what is it? What kind of powers does it give you? To, to, to be to be as brief as possible. First off, this was the this was the stand up off the couch and go. Oh my god, I can't believe they just did that moment for me. My wife thought I was crazy. Uh, number number two, not your uh, wife, but mine. <laughs> <laughs> number two, the idea was that so they allude to the Mandalorians fighting the Jedi in a time long ago. One of I think it was pretty. I think it might have been the only Mandalorian Jedi. When he makes his lightsaber, he makes what's called the dark saber, and it's a different. And to make a, sh- a long story short, the dark saber becomes the symbol of leadership and rule for Mandalore and the clans of Mandalore. And basically, okay, so whoever holds whoever the, holds the dark saber is the ruler of Mandalore. So here's what that scene implies. And it also piggybacks off of some talking pictures trivia, which we did about the siege of Mandalore. Uh, that dark saber has been through lots of hands, including Darth Maul, including Sabine Wren. But in this part, what we're seeing is now it's in the hands of Moff Gideon. So here are the here are the couple questions: A, how does he get it? We know that he was an ISB agent on Mandalore during the siege of Mandalore. We do know that Mandalore has fallen, and we can assume that he has taken the Darksaber as a symbol of leadership of that area, as a moth. So here's my question. He had that saber. He needed information from a Mandalorian. Why didn't he just go, oh, hey, Mandalorian, instead of having a shootout, I'm holding the speaking stick right now. You have to do what I say and end the episode. Okay, so very simply that this Mandalorian that we've been following is not actually truly a Mandalorian. He probably doesn't even know the idea of the Darksaber. Like, he might have heard stories of it, but he's not a Mandalorian himself. So he wouldn't be kind of classified under that rule of law, if you will. He doesn't recognize that talking stick. Got it. So I guess then in the future, we would expect other Mandalorians to not respect the talking stick. Well, other Mandalorians that maybe come from Mandalore would definitely still would definitely still respect the the talking stick and potentially want the talking stick because that would make them the ruler of mandalore this specific mandalorian who is in name only and not in uh you know where he comes from doesn't necessarily feel the same way so i and i think i think moff gideon proves that he knows that he knows that this 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 mandalorian doesn't come from mandalore so that little trope might not work and just because you hold the crown doesn't mean you respect the crown. Sometimes you just covet thy crown. So just because uh, just because he walks in the town with the talkie stick doesn't mean that the Mandalorian is going to bend over to him, that he might, you know, take umbrage with the fact that he has it, especially as an Imperial. Hmm. Thanks for clarifying. Hmm. Okay, we're almost there, guys. 
Check out our website, TalkingPicturesTrivia.com, for more information about us and our episodes. You can find us wherever you listen to podcasts as well as our YouTube channel. We are extremely grateful for any positive reviews as those help others like you find us. If you like what you hear, remember to like and subscribe to our show. What do you think is the best redemption story and why? Leave a comment on our YouTube channel and let's continue the conversation. Thanks for joining us for this whole first season of The Mandalorian. Chris, it was great having you with us. I can't thank you guys enough for letting me share this experience with you. It's been a great eight weeks. Uh, I look forward to coming back for any other Star Wars content you want, if you'll have me. Uh, I really, this is really great stuff to talk about, and I really appreciate you having me on. Thanks again. You got it. And I'm sure we will definitely find time for you in our future calendar. Additionally, you can follow us on Twitter at Talking Studios. Where can the rest of you be found? You can find me on or at Twitter at or on Thomas Lehman 15. And you can find me on Twitter at KJ1000. And I just want to tie this all the way back to the first episode. Was it Dave Filoni or John Favreau who was redeemed? Because I think, Chris, you may have said that this restored your faith in the Star Wars franchise. Maybe that's what they meant by redemption. Possibly, possibly. I have to. I have to tell you that Dave Filoni's never really done me wrong. So I, can't, I don't think he was had to redeem himself. It's just, this redeemed me for live action Star Wars. Yes, I, I think this redeemed Star Wars in general. And maybe it redeemed John Favreau for Cowboys and Aliens. <laughs> I also want to thank my dad for recording this outro that you're listening to now. Thanks a lot, SRB. Um, it was really cool. My dad was able to take the Mandalorian music and transpose it transcribe it um, for the bagpipes and that's actually him playing now he recorded it and uh, sent it over so thanks again dad I can also be found on twitter at the nicknames join us next time when we return to our regularly scheduled movie format we'll be exploring our guilty pleasures starting with KJ's pick Interstellar from 2014 talk to you then I saw Interstellar first time in theaters. I actually don't remember that um, event very much, to be honest. Um, but then I, I saw it at home, and I kind of fell in love with the movie, guys. I think this might be my favorite movie. Um, but I watch it pretty often, uh, you know, multiple times a year. It's kind of like comfort food. It, um, it gets me every time. Um, I don't know about you guys, but uh, I love it. I, I've watched it on the big screen, on the small screen, stereo surrounds on every every way you can yeah i don't remember the first time i saw this i think this is the second time i i saw this movie i might have seen it in theaters i might have seen it at home um i don't i don't really know i i <laughs> this time i watched it um while while eating you know, like usual um on my computer in the living room i i think possibly the kind of surround sound thing might have been better but um you know i it was fine you know i watched the movie for the episode and and it was fine it's probably not my favorite movie of all time i'll, I'll make that my brief review yeah i'm a, along with tom on this one I, I definitely saw it twice this is my second viewing the first time i'm pretty sure i saw it at home in some capacity i don't think i saw it in the theaters Apparently, KJ knows when I'm very strapped for time in certain weeks, and that's when he says, hey, let's do an almost three-hour movie. So I'm just making it here to very close to the finish line of completing this film 
for this very episode. So there's elements I enjoy about this film, uh, but we'll talk more about that in the actual episode. Cool. Yeah, I saw it in theaters and was pretty stunned and wondered about what was going on and shelved it and have kind of taken it off and chewed over some things. And over the years, I've come to think about the movie more and more and what it was trying to say. So this time, whenever I watched it, I had you know notepad in hand and stopped at the key words in the plot for um, the characters and what was going on, the, um, the story, uh, the theme, to try and get at what was being you know, said. And yeah, I came away having like a clear idea, a certainly more clear idea of what's going on in the story. And I think it's very interesting. Um, Based on that, I think Nate has a very good chance of taking down this episode, but we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> 